We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody. It's Kirk Henderson and Josh Bowe coming to you for a real-life edition of Mavs Moneyball After Dark. Now, as you guys know, your longtime listeners, this was our post-game podcast to start the season. And as the offseason dragged on, we just kind of kept using the title as we were talking about things going on and we were recording at night. But the Mavericks have played an actual basketball game and they're finishing up. Well, it's a scrimmage. They're finishing up against the Los Angeles Lakers as we've started recording. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing okay. It feels good to be back in the saddle a little bit and have actual basketball to talk about instead of theoretical basketball. It is. And so, you know, right now the Mavericks should, there's like 18 seconds left in the fourth quarter. They should walk away with a quote victory, uh, 106 <laughs> to 102, but it's, it's kind of hard to, to get too jazzed up about much of anything because the Lakers, um, Eh, let's just say that the Lakers showed in the first half really why they're the uh, number one seed in the Western Conference. LeBron James looks like a machine, and Anthony Davis was being guarded by uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, which was a choice, Rick Carlisle. Um, but, you know, let's let's start with the stuff that, that we liked first. So so talk to me about what you saw. Did you, did you happen to uh, enjoy anything in particular? Uh, I mean, I thought in general the starters looked okay for their first game back in however long. I mean, this is – I think we officially reached the point where this break between when the season was suspended and today was is longer than a normal offseason. So, <laughs> I mean, when you consider that, 
this is basically like even a longer layoff than that. And this is a preseason game and guys are just, they're just trying to get through, through a game like this, you know, they're just trying to go through it and not get hurt and not have anything too crazy go on. So from that standpoint, you know, I, I appreciated how well the starters looked at least offensively. I mean, Seth Curry hit six to six from three, which was awesome. Uh, I think Kristaps was uh, perfect from the field in the first half. Luca had a pretty good shooting night. Uh, only one of three from three, but that's okay. But six assists and only 16 minutes, which is outstanding. And uh, defensively, you know, there wasn't just much there. But, the you know, with the Mavericks' depth being where it is, with their lack of bigs uh, and the Lakers being a pretty big team, it's just kind of a bad matchup for them. You know, you talked about Dorian Finney-Smith guarding Anthony Davis. And it's like, so if he didn't guard him, then Kristaps would guard him. And then Dorian Finney-Smith has to try to block out JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard and I don't know how much more preferable that is I mean it's it's just kind of tough with the way their 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 roster is right now but for a first Mm -hmm. for a first night it was pretty good and then it was good to see after the first half where the bench kind of looked just kind of putrid uh they they carried their own in the second half and I mean they're the reason why I mean the Lakers kind of you know punted in the second half but just credit to the to the end of the bench guys for playing hard throughout the whole game so they could win the game. Right. And and you know, there were some stats that were shared, you know, as we're getting the season back together, you know, we've been putting together articles, the Mavs have been posting a lot of information. Friend of the program, Bobby Corrala, shared this little tidbit of information that when uh Seth Curry and Tim Hardaway uh share the floor together their cheat code and that Dallas has an effective field goal percentage of uh, 57% when they share the floor. And, you know, but he, he said in reference, the bucks are leading the league in this general statistic at 57%. So like the Mavericks figured something out towards the end of the year. And, you know, I, I think the argument can be made that injuries really pushed them into it. Cause I don't think they would have ever gone super small like this with Dwight Powell existing but, you know, having KP as their only big, the Mavericks have something like an offensive rating of 118. It's absolutely astounding when when they really get going on offense. The trouble, the trouble is what we just talked about, what you mentioned there on the defensive end, where Dallas just doesn't have the horses. Uh, Long term, I think the, the plan, hopefully, is to have, you know, maybe one more ball handler to pair with Luca, And then they just need like eight guys who are six foot nine to six foot six kind of just to be able to like put out on the floor and do stuff. I mean, Anthony Davis is a top five talent in the NBA. So like not being able to guard him is it, it is what it is. Uh, you you hope that the Lakers need a third guy to beat you. So, you know, getting pounded on by the number one team in, in the Western Conference is not really anything to be uh, ashamed of. I'm a little – I'm interested to see what happens, you know, once the games kick back up. I don't think – you know, you and I are prone – well, me, really, you're pretty level-headed. Our, our, I'm pretty prone to overreaction, and I just kind of – I did my best to kind of, you know, shoulder shrug at anything bad or like frustrating that I saw that game. The Mavs didn't rebound very well. They didn't try that hard at rebounding very well, which is, you know, uh, I think kind of a product of the scrimmage. Um, I'm, I'm a little irritated at their uh, pick and roll coverage, but you know, I could say that every year going back to 2011, like I just don't understand what their, what their kind of philosophy is because it feels like when they're getting beat, they're getting destroyed on pick and rolls and the Lakers just have the bodies, you know, they're the kind of team, you know, there's 
two or three you know squads in the league that really give the Mavericks trouble, and the Lakers just happen to be one of them. I just think that the Mavericks can keep up with the Lakers on offense. So you know, that, maybe that's a problem for when they get to the Western Conference Finals. Right now, I suppose it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, and I guess it's not super fun that Dorian Finney-Smith and Kristaps combined for three rebounds. <laughs> So that, like that kind of sucks. Like we could say that sucks even for a scrimmage. That's not ideal, but it is what it is. The fact that no one in the starting lineup had more than two rebounds except for Luca, that's that's not ideal, but that might be something we just have to get used to though. That might just mm-hmm. be kind of a new reality. And I know as much as Dwight Powell gets uh picked on and for some appropriate reasons, it's just the depth, you know, no him and no Willie Colley Stein, it's not like huge, but it, it just, it's like a trickle down effect that kind of shakes down the, the deeper the Mavericks have to go into their bench. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be talking about this as the year goes on because it's really one of these things where when you go to a playoff type situation where four of the, you know, 14 guys that are out there on the big, or you know, I guess 15 guys that are out there as part of the roster, didn't either work part of the team or were an extremely insignificant part of the team up until mid-February, it's going to catch up with them in interesting situations, probably some really frustrating ones. I know a lot of fans are right when they say to me, you know, Kirk, the you only play eight guys in the playoffs. Right. But let's go look at some of the amazing things that have happened to the Mavericks, you know, when they've been in the playoffs. You get these moments from a Corey Brewer. You know, you get these these moments from like a Dewan Blair type guy. It's it's these are the things that happen, and you just have to have the horses to do it. And it's not you know it's not Josh Reeves' fault that he's you know a first year player who probably you know is going to be at best you know like a back end bench guy. It's it's just one of these things that we're you know depending on how the matchups go, I think we're going to you know keep coming back to. And I don't want it to be like a thing we complain about. It really is what it is. I mean, this was. This is is to the point in, in the Mavericks season where we're really at at a little bit of bonus time, for lack of a better description, in the sense that, you know, we wanted them to make the playoffs and we want to see what can happen once they're in the playoffs. I'm hopeful that the Mavericks take these eight seeding games uh, in a really, uh, you know, seriously, frankly, and I hope that they move up and, and that they don't have to face the Clippers. <laughs> um, you know, just, just looking at the box score here, I don't know. It was going to talk about Boban, right? Yeah. I mean, Boban (laughs) keeps doing the thing. You know, he's negative three on the night, but he had, you know, 13 boards. How many points did he have here? I can't even see, you know, 17 and 13. He's, uh, you know, technically back to back double doubles. If uh, we go back to our March 12th game um, for Boban. So it's, it's, I'm going to be, I'm going to be curious to see how Rick uses him because when teams figure out how to pick him apart on defense, he's almost unplayable. But offensively, you know, he sets good screens. He's around the basket. He, he He's just, you know, he's, he's interesting to watch. He seems to be a fairly important guy for, like, locker room morale, which I think is going to matter the longer they're there. But it's it's interesting watching him. I was, I was surprised to see him get that much playing time against the Lakers. Yeah, he's got such great touch around the basket. Like, he's very good at finishing kind of the, the short – kind of short hooks around the block that mm-hmm. can kind of be – not necessarily the best shot you want to get because it's a little it's a little too far out from the rim uh you know it's not not like a mid-range shot but it's just like that weird area it's that weird area of the floor that brandon wright was really good at when he was right 
and Bobon is just so tall he just kind of like shoots down <laughs> into the rim so it just makes it easier for him to just kind of flip up those hook shots but uh, yeah it's it's one of those things where like eventually he has to play more than he probably should because no pal and no Kali Stein so he's gonna get some minutes in these eight games he's not gonna be like a DNP CD guy like he was when the, the roster was relatively healthy so i'm just curious to see if he can keep up the production and and how much of that pure box score production results into actual like winning basketball right well let me ask you this what did you think uh first what broadcast did you watch i was nba tv so i was getting the lakers crew okay so i was as well and i just I need to state that that the guy who kept saying Kaycock and THT needs to not like, <laughs> oh my God, like I get it because Falwell does this stuff too. But like at a certain point in time as a professional NBA announcer, you have to refer to players as their name and constantly saying initials and nicknames is really irritating because <laughs> I don't know who Kaycock is. Is that, you know. Well, yeah, he's Who this, that guy. Like, it's I'm, a I'm, it's a regional broadcast. You know, he's not a TNT or ESPN broadcaster. He's presumably broadcasting to people who follow the team. You know, so that's kind of where it comes from. He, he obviously he was broadcasting to a national audience just because of the circumstances. But typically, right. he's just broadcasting to LA people or LA fans for the most part. Right. No, I know you're right. It just it just irritates me. I know. I no. I I don't disagree. I'm just trying to find some some logic in the chaos. Well, let me ask you. But so what? Okay. So announce crew aside, what did (laughs) you think about like what was happening? Like the product. Um, I I think the for lack of a better description, like the game ops. Like, what did you think about you know the way the floor looked, the way the audio was? Uh, you know, they piped in that that crowd audio, which (laughs) I am mixed on. I I didn't like it at first, but then by the end of it, I was like, okay, this isn't bad. What do you think? I like the crowd noise from the fact that it fills a lot of the dead air that would otherwise be in the broadcast, which I think is nice. You know, like when players are shooting free throws, bringing the ball up the floor. The part where it's kind of weird is that it's so it's not really like dynamic. And maybe it was and I wasn't listening well enough. But like when a team goes on a run, I didn't really notice a difference so that it kind of felt like it stood out more like. Sure. So then it, it felt way, way faker or just faker. Uh, right. Because the it, it, it can't it, react. As well. Yes, it as was well. noise. It was not yeah. like measured noise, and that like one of the fun parts that that I saw the internet talking about was how lively the Mavs and Lakers benches were, which I did not get that from the broadcast because when you have this kind of you know noise that's piping over all the time, you can't really differentiate. So that's yeah. that'd be something I'd be interested to see what they do. I mean, some of this is to work out these sort of things. I wouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah, the NBA. If if there if there's one thing we can say about the NBA is that they learn and they adapt and they really try to put out like the best visual product. So I'm going to be very interested to see where they go with from there. Like it really did kind of look like a Laker home game. They had like Lakers symbols up all over the walls. Just it was, it was peculiar, but I I didn't not like it. Yeah, I was the my biggest concern was that it was going to look like watching like a high school game, like in a high mm-hmm. school gym or something. Right. And I didn't get that implication at all from the broadcast like i think they did a pretty good job of making sure that it did like i didn't notice that that there were like empty seats so to speak like they kind of do a good job 
of covering up the areas that you would see on TV with video monitors and like advertise like stuff was in the way so it didn't look like they were playing in an empty gym in front of like empty seats so i like that part of it and the the gym felt big i don't know they they made it feel bigger than i don't know it's, i agree how, with how that. much bigger it is which was nice um and uh i mentioned this the other day during the first scrimmages earlier in the week on twitter but i really like the fact that there's nothing under the baseline, so we're not going to see anyone twist an ankle stepping on a photographer. Ooh, man, that's a really good point. You know, the other thing I liked, and I, I just, I got to be honest about this. I felt that the way that they started bringing in, you know, some of the Black Lives Matter and some of the things that have been happening, even though it was a Lakers broadcast, I felt that they incorporated a lot of what the NBA and the players have talked about and want to discuss and make a, a side discussion to the games. I felt that was really organic. I didn't feel like it was forced. Uh, and, and, you know, having watched, you know, hundreds and hundreds of basketball games over the years, some of the stuff when they, when they get out, when, when broadcast teams aren't really sure what to say, sometimes the discussions are really bad. And it was just, it was something that I wanted to at least touch base on. And I'm going to be interested to see how the national broadcast teams do it because it was nice. Like they, they highlight it and they discuss it and it, it, it still is, is part of the game without, you know, neither thing taking away from the other, which I think is really hard to do. Yeah, they seem prepared for it. Yes. Uh, so, so I think that was that was the big thing for me. Yeah, and and you know, I'm I don't know, I'm I'm just looking forward to see what happens here. Like I'm 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 less mm-hmm. looking forward to the next two scrimmages because it means uh they have one Sunday afternoon um at like three o'clock, and then they have one on Tuesday night. And I'm not I think as the games go on, it'll be like preseason where we see progressively less, and so by game, you know, by by uh scrimmage three we're gonna have josh reeves taking 35 shots which you know could be fun for some people i don't (laughs) know so it's but at the same time i'm also just like i'm itching to get ready to go and so with that in mind i wanted to pivot real quick before we get out of here you know if you guys have been coming to our site and if you're listening to this podcast you are probably a fairly loyal reader to the site our team has really been cooking for about three weeks now um josh and i have uh, you know we're our, we're the the editors of the site and we've been really pushing for consistent steady coverage and a lot of the work that our guys are doing and girls thanks lauren um are are putting together really really nice pieces you know this week uh we we started off with one that i really i got a kick out of our our new guy ryan put together a video uh, about the impact of maxi kleba that i thought was just fantastic for his first you know kind of film session type thing did you happen to get a chance to to watch it or are you an old like me who has a hard time with youtube videos <laughs> no i got to watch it he did a great job i've I get- was really, yeah i was really you know impressed especially for the first time first time effort and uh it's been good to have just another additional voice like that be able to do stuff like that for our site well, and for Maxi in particular, I think it's a really good primer. You know, about two minutes in, he starts to explain the minutia of really why Maxi is so important to the Mavericks because, you know, we've gotten really used to watching him, but a stretch five who can hit threes and block shots is as big of a unicorn as, as Chris Stapps Porzingis. That this is like, he is what teams want. The fact that he makes what he does has to be, I'm just going to, you know, we'll be talking about this for years. The whole time he's with the team, he's got to be one of the top 10 value contracts in the league. It's just, I I love watching him play. He he's improved every year. He's not a young guy. We we talk about players. I think he's 28 or so, but you know, the fact that he's still getting better is really just, it's, it's outstanding. And I couldn't be, I couldn't be, you know, more glad that he's on the team. 
Um, the next piece that we had, and I, I just, I love this because you know, this is what I'm looking forward to about when we're covering more uh, basketball here as, as we get to see more of what the Mavs do. You wrote a phenomenal piece on the Luka handoff. And I, let's just, you know, kick off to you for a little bit. Talk about the piece. Talk about the handoffs in general. Um, well, as you were properly motivating me to start writing, <laughs> writing more, as I had kind of gone into bye-bye zone or uh, trying to get used to writing more about basketball. So I was kind of at a loss. I didn't know what to write about. Um, I just couldn't get my brain working that way. And I know that's kind of a broken record if you see me on Twitter or anything I read or any of the latest podcasts. But it's really, it's been tough. And so, like, I basically was just like, All right, I'm just going to look at film. And I just started watching highlights and clips and going to NBA.com, so, you know, stats and clicking at things and looking at stats, looking at scenarios and just kind of trying to find something to latch onto or, or and I ended up following uh, on one of my old pieces that I wrote about that was kind of waxing nostalgic uh, about the 2014, 2015 pre-Rondo mass. Mm-hmm. And I put the GIF in this Luca piece, but it's the GIF uh, in that pe- in that older piece about the 2014, 15 Mavs with the Dirk Monte dribble handoff. And I saw that and I was like, man, the Mavs do that a lot with Luca. And they, and they were, and I just kind of like thinking anecdotally, like I, I remember it working pretty well. So then I just kind of looked into the numbers and, and looked into the film and saw, yeah, this is pretty good. And it, it just, it just kind of went from there. And I think it's been kind of a staple of Rick Carlisle's offense since he's been in Dallas and using, having a big like Dirk to initiate a dribble handoff. is like kind of a cheat code. And then you get someone with the speed of Monte and it, like they just kind of spammed that play whenever they needed it. And it was just fun to compare that to the Luca version because Luca is obviously not Monte in terms of speed, but he's still so good at manipulating space and uh, operating with, uh, you know, creating separation. And I just feel like that play helps them a lot. And the more I watch it, the more I was like, this is some of the best stuff that they run. They get a lot of really good looks out of it. And yeah, I just kind of wanted to write about and talk about how effective it was. And it's some of the most fun plays they've had, like the Luca Kristaps alley-oop that everyone has that picture of where they're kind of celebrating off like Wade and LeBron, that Wade and LeBron photo when they're on the heat. Uh, That came from a dribble handoff uh, and it's one of their favorite plays and it's really successful for them. I need to get my good friend, Matt Moore and you to have a discussion because he's just convinced and he has a pretty compelling argument that eventually the Mavericks will go the way of James Harden and that Luca's best usage will be just be isolation. It's like the game, the numbers, all this stuff show it. But what your piece kind of spoke to really importantly is that getting Luca in motion when he doesn't have the ball is extremely important to, to both Luca and the rest of the Mavs. And I, it's just it's it's worth thinking about. It's gonna be it's gonna be kind of a philosophical discussion as Luca Im- continues to improve and the Mavs build around him. And I I just really got a kick out of it because honestly I I just I love watching Luca on the move when he doesn't have the ball. We talk about it all the time. You are you know one of the early prognosticators of using him as a role man, and maybe one day they will do that, but they yeah. certainly haven't yet. Yeah. Um, what else do we got on the site here? We've got a lot of of stuff that I like. You know, we we had uh, Doyle, who is is you know he's not on tonight. He wanted to join us, but he's been covering a lot of the the Zoom calls and things that the Mavs put out, and he put up a number of of pieces this week that are worth checking in on. Uh, Lauren Gunn wrote a a quick post on why she thinks that the Mavericks. 
uh, aren't going to be phased by not having any fans around. And, you know, judging by the way that they played in this uh, scrimmage, I, I think she's right. I, the part about kind of competitiveness um, is, is really speaks to me because, you know, the Mavericks have been doing all this stuff on social media where they're like playing, you know, slap ball or whatever the heck it's called fishing. Like they're <laughs> always doing something. Whoops. After Josh and I had some brief technical difficulties, we ended up losing the last five or so minutes of our podcast, but I'm going to pick up where we left off here. So essentially we have some great stuff up on the site. You know, after Lauren's piece talking about no fans in the stands, I ended up writing two pieces, one on uh, some concerns that I have about the Mavericks as they head to Orlando and play these games, and then another piece about strengths and why they should really be considered a team to to uh, look out for. Um, the offense for the Mavericks is just so incredible. It's worth talking about almost all the time. Uh, we get kind of bored talking about it because it seems to be, you know, so incredible, but... I want to read part of my piece to everybody. You know, when the Mavs get to scoring, they've rewritten their own history books. Seven of the highest scoring Mavericks game ever have come this season. In 3,200 games in the franchise's history, seven of those of the highest 50 have happened in just this 67-game season. That's just pretty incredible to me. It's one of the many, you know, it's one of the six reasons I wrote that the Mavericks should be considered a, uh, you know, real uh, team to make some noise if they get the right matchup in the playoffs. Um, you know, we also have a piece up from, uh, you know, Ryan talking about Luka Doncic uh, as possibly having a, a case for most improved player. Uh, he has, you know, Luka is essentially out of the MVP discussion at this point. Uh, he's, you know, five or six in a lot of ballots. So it's not really worth talking about too much. Uh, the real questions become are, is he a, a you know, first, uh, all-NBA all first team or all-NBA second team, which is really sort of splitting hairs and dependent on what positions the voters put him in. But Luca is that good, and the, the case for the most improved player is really interesting because he really does have one despite being Rookie of the Year. I recommend hopping on our site and checking out all that. In the coming uh, days, we have a few more pieces that we have, you know, ready to put out because the season starts you know, next Friday, we're going to be covering the uh, scrimmages as best we can. That's going to be a little wonky just with how and who's playing. You know, you don't want to read too much into this stuff. But, you know, you guys are listening to this because you like the Mavericks. Uh, and we like talking about them. So, again, sorry for the technical difficulties. Just wanted to hop on and, and finish out the pod real quick. Thank you for your support. As always, uh, you know, like, subscribe, do all the things you need to do because the more listeners we have, the more fun this is for us. As always, this has been Kirk Henderson and Josh Bowe with Mavs Moneyball After Dark. Everybody have a good weekend. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.